Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Christian Devotion, Speak Up, the show where Christian leaders come on and share their saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and how he brought them to serve the kingdom in a big way. I'm your host, Scott McCausey, and I welcome you to stick around and hang out with us. We've got a great show planned just for you. So for the next 60 minutes, turn off the television, turn up your computer speakers, and get ready to learn about Christ through our guest testimony and our ministry. This is Christian Devotion. Speak up! And welcome to another edition of Christian Devotion Speak Up. Uh, I hope God is blessing your week. You know, sometimes he throws those trials at us and those hurdles, but just like the book of James tells us, we need to continue to uh, strive forward for that crown of life. And uh, I hope that you're able to do that. And tonight I've got another great guest on with us, Joe Pernito. And Joe is an author of two books. Uh, The first is Living and Dying Without Regret, and Will God Say Well Done If If You Haven't Done Well? And the second book, uh, which released this summer, Climbing the End of Your Rope. And we're going to talk about both his books. Uh, He's also a hospice minister. Um, He's a family man, and he's a musician. And we're going to bring Joe on in just a bit uh, to talk about all of those good, fun things. And before that, I have Eddie Jones and and Cindy Sproles, the co-founders of Christian Devotion Ministry. Jeff Kimball's working our boards again tonight. And I have a special guest with us again tonight. Uh, You might recognize her. She has been one of our feature guests before. Um, Cindy Sinto is with us. And so welcome in, everybody. Hey, great to be here. Awesome. Hi, awesome. Cindy. Hi, Cindy to Cindy. Hi, <laughs> everybody. Hey, There's something weird about talking to yourself in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, my husband's name is John. That must be tough. A lot of guys are named John. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, guys, I wanted to bring in, and we're going to be bringing in a few different special guests at the very beginning of the next few episodes to kind of get ready for our Got Gat Radio, which is coming up fast. And uh, I wanted to take this chance, too, to talk about the ibegat.com and what a great uh, chance to do this by bringing on Cindy Sinto, who is our new editor of that. Cindy, how is it going so far? I absolutely love it. Uh, it it's been wonderful. I'm getting great material from the teens. Uh, Great hits on the website, and uh, it's just really neat to see it growing the way it is. Yeah, that's that is cool. And Eddie, um, you can probably testify to some of the numbers and stuff too. A lot of people checking out the site. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Cindy's uh, got a got a stat statistic that she's running on uh, on her side, and I'm looking at the raw statistics on the server side, and the numbers continue to go up each month, which is uh, you know that. That's a good sign because we really haven't done any uh, ground, you know, groundbreaking marketing of any significance. We haven't advertised with Google AdSense or anything else. So it's just by word of mouth. It's by uh, the kids and the listeners and the readers coming to the site, finding it, recommending it to others. And you know, uh, of course, Joe is going to speak to this probably later uh, about you know selling books. That's that's the way you, you you make it big. It's not through necessarily the marketing. But it's that word of mouth. So you put a good product out there, people hear about it. They tell others, and uh, that's the best kind of advertising. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, it's good. It's good to see things are growing and moving forward. And, man, it's, it's great, Cindy, to have you with us again on the show. And uh, we are very, very fortunate to have you. And speaking of which, um, how is your health these days? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me to stop. Okay, so you guys realize that, well, um, for people who are listening, uh, I also have a book out. Um, I had a heart transplant five years ago now and should not even be alive, but, you know, I'm from New York. We just don't die off easy. And <laughs> uh, because of issues with uh, toxicity and medicines, I need a pancreas transplant now. And this Sunday I'll fly to Minneapolis to hopefully get approved. But uh, in a week and a half i got to get the tip of my nose cut off. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> More cancer on my nose, and so, you know, I'm just going to, talking about marketing, I'm going to get a clown nose, and I'm going to market this nose as best I can. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure all of us at Christian Devotion Ministries would put our hands on if we could, but you're too far away. You're way over on the West Coast. Well, actually, I'm in Moses Lake, Washington, so uh, maybe Moses will show up. I don't know. 
<laughs> well, we can all hope so, that's for sure. And I, I, I just want to interject on Ivy Gat. I have to say I'm so excited. I actually never thought it would actually grow this quickly, and it has. And I'm getting awesome material from the team. Oh, I, I, I don't have to hardly do any editing. These kids are putting their heart into it. And it's been great. It's, it, it's just been great. Uh, I, I love to see it. And I didn't realize that there are not that many websites like ivygat.com mm-hmm. for teenagers, Christian teens. I, I thought we were a little pea in a pot of soup. And I've done research. I've asked a lot of teens. And there just isn't a place like ivygat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's interesting. It- I mean, we, we kind of offer a little bit of everything. Yes, absolutely. And it's needed. It's needed. You know, the teens out there now have, uh, you know, there's a million options to anybody who's on the Internet and surfing. And, you know, we want them to be surfing on a healthy site and checking out articles that can help them grow both spiritually and, and to, to be involved with friends and kids their age who are dealing with similar issues and to be able to talk to one another about those things. So this networking uh, has been very good. Cindy, tell us about some of the people you've met at uh, the ibgat.com uh, uh, site so far. Well, if uh, people visit it, you'll see that there's a tab for the writers. So you can click on and find out all the writers that are writing currently. We have uh, a young adult, mostly teens, uh, one other uh, mom who's involved in helping out. And so actually I haven't met them in person. I've met them online. And right. the group of kids are amazing. They're, they're polite. If I send them a request as far as they're writing, they do it immediately. Um, I hope one day I can just gather them all together and join them somewhere because I'm <laughs> loving them. I'm, you know, I've always loved teenagers. My son's 21. I keep wishing he'll move on. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Oh, the poor kids. I, I love them. But I'm really enjoying the interaction, even though we're just emailing. It is right. awesome. It's awesome to see that. Yeah. yeah that that wanna, is awesome. I want to add something in there, Scott, if I can. Yeah. I sent you guys, I sent you guys a letter. Um, and I, one of the things I think has been really cool about IBGAT, and it was one of the things that we really had hoped would happen, was that the kids are starting to take, uh, ownership of this website and mm-hmm. I sent you a letter um, from a little girl named Haley that once well, she's not a little girl she's a teenager but they're all little to me um, <laughs> who won she won the iPod okay and so she mm-hmm. number one sends me a letter and <laughs> and so I, I want to read you just a paragraph of this letter because it's not just to me I think it, it really is for all of us um, yeah. But I wanted to let you know how much you mean to me. It might sound weird, but I see you as an important adult in my life, like a mentor. I'm always excited to tell tell you what's going on in my life, and I love it when you tell me I did something well. I love hearing your stories and advice, and I thank God for putting me in my life. Even if we've never seen each other face-to-face, I thought you might want to know. And wow. I thought, you know, that's exactly what we hoped would happen. You know, that that's these kids would take hold of this website, they would look at it and uh, look at it as a place to grow, look at us as leaders for them to help them move along the way. And, Cindy, you're doing a great job at that. So I, I appreciate that. I love it. And keep out, keep tell people listening, uh, keep watch. I'm working on video lessons for teens who want to play guitar or drums yeah keyboard yeah i'm wrestling my husband into doing the guitar videos i've done a uh, young yeah he's <laughs> i think he wants to grow some hair before he does it but um i then have a young man who's going to do <laughs> a young man who wants to do the drum lessons and another one for keyboard so i'm hoping to have that on a regular basis and it'll be archived so kids that want to learn can watch the videos and click on the download to get the worksheet with it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I hope to be able to do that soon. I'm trying to raffle everybody up. Well, that's awesome. There's a, there's a lot of really exciting things going on at www.ibgat.com. And uh, if you know somebody who's a teenager, you have teenagers at your church, my goodness, spread this website around because we want them, number one, to check it out. Number two, we want them involved. We have a lot of great opportunities to help teach them how to write, even if they're not sure how to do it. Um, that's where Christian Devotions Ministries comes in, and we can help uh, put all these things together. And, and Cindy Sinto, thank you again for joining us tonight. Um, you know, it, it all started uh, with my wife and I sitting down next to you at Ridgecrest Writers Conference, and 
the next thing you know, now you're on uh, you're on board with us, and I think that is awesome. It's great. God is awesome. I remember you talking about it, and I was thinking, oh, no, 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 Lord, I have no time for that. And, <laughs> and God made time. And one last thing real quick that I just want to throw in is that uh, I don't reject anybody's writing. I work with yeah. the team, and we'll get it right, and they get published. Absolutely. So this, is, this is their site. So thank That's you guys right. for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Cindy. And uh, speaking of somebody who's really, really busy, we've got Joe Pernito on the other end kind of waiting in the wings. So why don't we do this? Jeff, why don't we go to our commercial break, and when we come back, we'll bring Joe Pernito. This is Scott McCausey with Christian Devotion. Speak up. Have you allowed life struggles? to strangle your life, your hope, your dreams, and your future? Our past failures and hardships can easily give way to guilt, discouragement, and a fear of the future, which leaves us with one resolution, to give up chasing our dreams, pursuing our goals, and living this life to its fullest. Are you looking for a way to change things? Have you considered Climbing the End of Your Rope? Climbing the End of Your Rope is not just another book about finding hope. This is a book about you, your life, and your future. Joe Cranito dives into the lives of real people who have come face-to-face with some of the most common yet debilitating conditions of the human experience. He tackles life's most confusing questions and offers spiritual solutions that you can implement into your daily life. Published in June 2010 by Tate Publishing, Joe Cranito brings us Climbing the End of Your Rope. And Joe Cranito, welcome to our program. Good after evening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see, I knew you and I are just alike because I do that all the time. I'll say... Uh, welcome to Christian Devotion. Speak up. Good afternoon. And uh, you've got West Coast. And, you know, I just recorded a show last week with uh, somebody in England, which is five hours ahead. So I never know what to say. So you right. Just, uh, well, it, y- it, you it, just made my day. <laughs> well, afternoon for me, evening for you. So that's you know, right. I got I got to um, uh, greet everybody from California to Michigan. So hello. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's great to have you, and I'm really excited to have you, and the main reason is because uh, about four or five months ago, you sent me an email asking to be a potential guest, and, and I think you're the first one that sent me an email that's, that is scheduled to come on. I've got some more coming after you, but um, I, I'm pretty pumped up about that. So you listened to the Alex Kendrick show on Speak Up and the Archives, is that correct? Yeah. Um, you, you know, I don't know how it how it popped up. I think I was just kind of surfing around, and I saw Alex, I think I typed in something like Facing the Giants or something, but um, the show came up, and I was like, oh, what's this? I've never heard an interview with him or anything like that, other than like behind the scenes and stuff on the uh, on the movie. So, right. um, so when I saw that he was on it, I was like, geez, I wonder if I begged this host enough <laughs> and sent him enough gift cards if he would allow me... <laughs> To be on the show, and uh, it, it was after the uh, the second two hundred fifty dollar gift card that I gave you to Burlington Coat Factory that you said okay, and I I appreciate it. Five months later, here here we are. <laughs> How's uh, no, it working? wasn't that. It was the uh, you know the email you sent telling me you were a Michigander. It was a done deal. Oh, he's from Michigan. Well. Welcome in, that's for sure. Uh, well, I, I I renounced that by moving to California, but I love yeah, you, you anyway. <laughs> and I don't hold that against you. Appreciate it. So um, let's dive right in. Joe, you were born a Michigander, but you didn't spend much time in the greatest state of the Union. Uh, your parents were called West. Tell us about a mom and dad and growing up on the West Coast. A mom and dad and growing up on the West Coast. We we went to Disneyland quite a bit. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> so uh, actually, I don't remember much about Michigan. Uh, I, I remember, you know, very... Very few things, you know, grandparents and stuff like that. I remember traveling to California because I remember throwing my Tinker Toys out the window while we were <laughs> driving. Um, and uh, and then I remember running away from home when I was about three years old. And 
uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun things like that. I instantly dove into California by running away from home. I was like, I'm in California, got to run away. I'll start at three. But um, but no, it was uh, it, it was pretty cool. I mean, I didn't notice much difference. We went back to Michigan to visit my family. I've got a lot of families still living there, so I do sure. make uh, occasional visits. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's to me, California is, has been home. And tell me, you have a twin brother. Is that the only uh, sibling that you have? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, my my brother uh, Matt. He's he's probably he's my best friend next to my wife. I mean, I talk to him every day, um, and uh, you know, he's how can you help but love a good-looking guy like your own brother? You know, I mean, what more can I say? And uh, no, he's he's cool. He's uh, he's actually about to be ordained next week too. So it's uh, oh, wow. it's. Yeah, it's pretty cool. He's um, we've done ministry a lot together through music and just other outreaches and stuff. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, so I've got a twin brother, and we've uh, w- you know we had our moments, you know, of of hating yeah. each other through high school, you know, oh, sure. a little, but but that all subsided, and and now we're uh, yeah great friends. And my brother Dave, he's out there listening. He usually does. Um, I didn't hate you in school. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, you, know, you guys are both going to be ministers, and so I, I can see a movie already. I mean, you can trade the trading places minister thing, although that's been done to death. You guys could do it. You're twins. Is this actually Matt or is this Joe? Uh, this is Matt. Um, <laughs> and uh, Joe, had to, Joe had to run out and change his oil. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the likely excuse that I get sometimes. Yeah, but we did do um, that. Now I want to talk school. about. Go ahead. I said we did do that in school. We switched places a little bit in school. Well, you have to if you're a twin. That's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. That's like yeah. a rule. It's true. Well, tell me about uh, coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and through, you did this through watching a movie. Uh, tell me a little bit about this. This is that. This is a really old movie, which is called. Um, it's called The Rapture. Mm-hmm. Um, and jeez, uh, uh, it's probably it was probably filmed in the 70s, and uh, and my father, uh, who was also a, a minister when I was younger, uh, he was showing these movies every month as part of an outreach at our church, and I sat there and I watched this movie and I saw a bunch of people moving on about their lives when all of a sudden they disappeared, and and then as the next movie came on the following month, and I saw what was starting to happen to them and how they you know, we're starting to get murdered and arrested and all kinds of stuff was happening. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't I don't want to be around for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember one night uh, just uh, my my parents put me to bed and I said, what do I need to do? You know, what do I need to mm-hmm. do to make sure that that doesn't happen to me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my mom just said, you just need to ask the Lord into your heart. And um, it's funny is, is I remember asking the Lord into my heart that night, but every single movie that was shown after that i always went forward because Mm. it it was it freaked me out so much i mean really scared me that i thought wow you know maybe i missed that part you know i didn't realize that was going to happen i better go make sure and i you know just just kind of made it a a habit of getting saved (laughs) yeah exactly and what a good habit to have right you know i mean i was in third grade you know so you know the mentality of a third grader is you know got to do it over and over and over again you know right right Um, so, but anyway, you, yeah, Jaw- you see Jaws, and you gotta, you know, ask Jesus in again just because it scared you so much. So, that yeah. mo- and that movie was my favorite movie back then. And matter of fact, it still is. I don't know if I should say that, but um, <laughs> I, I love that movie. We've actually <laughs> talked about that on the air because uh, that was one of the movies that scared the life out of me when I was a little kid. But yeah, we've talked about this on here before. So, oh, okay. Well, I'll have to go back into the archives. <laughs> exactly. And for all you listeners out there who are checking this out, www.christiandevotions.us, hit the archives. You can hear all of them, and Joe will be in there later on tonight. Um, Joe, I want to move into your uh, musical talents. Uh, what instrument did you grow up in learning how to play, and how did God put you on this journey into playing music? Well, it's funny. My my parents both did worship. They were both both. They both did worship when I was younger. My mom played the guitar. My father was a drummer. Um, so I was already always around music. And 
um, my father bought a drum set one one evening, and I was like, oh, I'm going to try playing the drums. It's funny. I kind of started playing everything that was around me. So I started playing the drums and actually was even um, helping out with a worship team in the main service when I was still fifth, sixth grade. Um, and uh, so I started with drums, and then I ventured into playing the bass guitar. And basically, and we'll just get this on record here. So what what really happened is is my brother and I both did music. If we got a new instrument, my brother automatically got to play the new instrument because he was older than me, and I got the leftover instrument. I We got a keyboard, he played the keyboard. Then we got a guitar, I played the keyboard. Then we got a bass, he played the... I'm, I'm confused, but it, somehow it worked out to where I played the bass and he played the guitar, and that's what stuck. And so, um, and, and then it just kind of went from there, and I just, even at a young age of... Uh, you know, like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, the right. desire was to uh, was to use whatever talent I had to bring glory to God. I didn't listen to non-Christian music. It wasn't something that was allowed in my home, but mm-hmm. it didn't bother me because I felt that the music I was listening to was sufficient because I didn't know any difference. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's what I grew up listening to: Carmen, Petra, Striper. All the fun stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> and so your older brother uh, got all the newer instruments. How many minutes older is he? 30. Oh, yeah. 30 minutes. Well, if that makes sense, then he's older. He should get the newer instruments, right? But, right. And he always made sure to tell me that mom never <laughs> wanted me, and uh, they never expected me, and they didn't. They didn't know I was coming. Um, so, therefore, he should automatically get all the new stuff. I mean, it'd be to the point where <laughs> if if my – I remember one time my parents gave us each a pencil. It was some crazy pencil camouflage. Right, right. right. But he's like, oh, we need to know – my brother said, we better know which is which. So he dented mine and said, here, that one's yours. I think that's, that's kind of the way it was. <laughs> yeah. oh, brotherly love, you, you know, it's, it's part of life. you got a brother, it's, those things happen, that's for sure. Exactly. So you so. moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where you attend a Victory Leadership Institute, and you played for a group called Redline. This had yeah. to be pretty exciting as Redline was signed by Freedom Records. Tell us about this. Well, I was in a band... Actually, it kind of starts when I was 15. I had this okay. favorite band of mine, which is called uh, Wicked's End, and I used to listen to them all the time, and then I heard they were looking for a bass player. Well, these guys were in their 20s, and I mm-hmm. thought, well, you know what? They need a bass player. I'm going to audition, um, and and I actually got the spot, which was really crazy. So at 15 years old, I was already playing in front of hundreds of people wow. and going and, and opening for some of the bands that I was purchasing albums from. So it was kind of cool, like, Here's this 15-year-old kid, and I'm amongst all these older guys. So it started there, and uh, and I just started getting to know different people. Well, I met the guys in a band called Redline, and uh, and they were looking for a bass player. So I was like, well, I'll fill in for you uh, for now. I'm already jamming with another band. And uh, I played with them uh, for a showcase, and it was a, a showcase for several different uh, record labels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and actually... Um, they picked us up and they asked me, look at, what do you want to do? If you want to come with us, we need a bass player. So I was like, all right, I'm out of here. So I moved to Nashville initially to do the music, but okay. as I was there, um, somebody approached me uh, who I was working with at the time and he said, hey, um, there's this school that I heard about called Victory Leadership Institute. I overheard you saying at one time you wanted to be a minister and I paid your tuition. You start Tuesday night. And I was like, Really? So it was just kind of dropped in my lap. I wanted to go, and I wanted to attend a Bible college, but I had no idea that somebody was going to pay my way for the year. And um, I I just started attending. And during the time of recording the album and starting the touring, um, I was able to take the classes. And because you're in Nashville and you have so many people who are in the music industry in Nashville, the, um, the, the school had a correspondence. Uh, type of of situation. So as long as you did your work and you watched the videos, if you weren't there, um, they would go ahead and give you the credit as long as they can meet with you. Like you have to have a meeting and they'll quiz you and they want to make sure you know what you're talking about. But um, so I went through that. Yeah, so I was there for about a year. Okay, okay. Cool. And so you were doing the red line thing for a short bit and you told me that as you continued on this journey, God convicted your heart to those who quote-unquote sit in the Sit in the streets as well as in the pews. Tell us what the, what this means and what you did about this conviction. Well, when I say sit in the pews, 
I mean, sit in the streets and sit in the pews. It was it was when I was in Nashville, and I was walking the streets of Nashville, and I was looking around, and I was noticing so many lost people. The funny thing is, is I started to notice some of my favorite Christian musicians also lost, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't, like I was really disheartened by it because all these people I looked up to, as I got to know them, they weren't the people that I thought they were. You know, they weren't uh, they weren't perfect. You know, which right, is, right, you know, exactly. Uh, but but that was the perception that I had. Um, yeah. But as I started to notice the way that just people walked with their head hanging low, it just really burdened me. And I thought, you know, I would like to do something that would be just just for them. And I didn't know what that was. Um, I, I didn't know whether that was doing music. I, I didn't know if it was writing. I didn't know if it was just witnessing. But it was just the burden that I had. But I started to notice that as I sat in church, I noticed the same type of thing. And, uh, you know, people not paying attention, people not caring about what's going on. They weren't taking the message to heart. And, and I thought, you know, I don't know what I can do to change this, uh, but I want to do something. And, uh, and and it's just kind of my, I'm, I'm putting my best foot forward and, and saying, Lord, whatever door you open, I'm going to walk through. Um, right. Whatever opportunity you give me to minister, I'm going to minister. And that's whether it is to, uh, you know, a group of five people at a church um, or it's just to uh, you know, or it's to a bigger group, or if it's just somebody on the street. I just want to be used, and I don't want to have that haughty, uh, you know, big-headed, you know, thing going on. Like, I, you yeah. know, you're just too good for me. I I dealt with that a lot in uh, in Nashville, you know, because there's a lot of there's a lot of big names there. But you know, I got yeah. to I got to hang out with Carmen. You remember Carmen? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We talked um, about that a little bit, yeah. Okay, I got to hang out with him uh, too uh, after after church. We went to the same church, and I got to hang out with him, and uh, and I learned quite a bit from him too. And he was just a down to earth guy. He loved the Lord, and uh, and I saw the way people chased him around, put notes on his cars and stuff. It was really funny, but um, mm. uh, but but watching how he treated people, how he loved people, yeah. made me really look at it because at the time he was the icon when it came to Christian music. Yeah and, yeah, and he and he loved people regardless, and uh, you know, so it's kind of cool to be able to sit under somebody like that. Yeah, absolutely. So you had this trek. You you uh, you'd go to this school to get uh, a ministerial degree. Um, from here, you head back to California. Is that right? Yeah, we were in the Christian. Um, we had just come out with the album. We just got a booking agent, and the booking agent told us that. They were going to pay us with about a hundred dollars a night and a case of beer. I'm not, and and I'm not kidding. And yeah. and and and, the, and he said, he said, I gave him a kind of a weird look because I met him at GMA, which is a gospel music association. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they usually call out there is a, a schmooze fest because everybody's mm-hmm. just kind of trying to get their name out there. And he's like, look, at, you'd be surprised at how many bands do this. Right. And I thought, well, here I am. I just went to this school. I want to be a minister. I want to be used, but I don't yeah. want to do that. And uh, and the Lord finally convicted me um, r- really pretty hard. And I was like, you know what, I'm I'm not going to do it. And we were just about to open for DC Talk in about two nights. And I actually just told the guys, I can't do it. I, I can't travel with you. I've got to stop. It. Mm. It was just bugging me so much. And now I look back and my mind goes, dude, you were just about to open for DC Talk. I mean, do you know how awesome that is? Like, you know, I look back now and I'm like, oh, couldn't you have suppressed it? But the, the feeling, <laughs> hey, we're being honest here. Um, That's right. You know, uh, I was like, you know, man, I, I could have, you know, I could have been able to do that. But but either way, the Lord had a plan and I just said, I'm done. And about two weeks later, I drove I drove to California straight through. I didn't stop for Food. I didn't stop for anything. Wow. Yeah, I just wow. drove straight through. So, and then I uh, I stepped into California, and uh, about two weeks after that, I started doing the uh, youth ministry. Wow. Cool. Well, yeah. let me do this. Let's take a quick break. Um, this is a good spot, and then I want to pick it up on how you, you you got into youth ministry as well as this hospice ministry and some of your direct works for the second half of the program. So right. when we come back, uh, Joe Pernito, this is Scott McCausey with Christian Devotion. Speak up. Got Get Radio, a new radio ministry for teens, premieres Thursday, November 4th. Join team hosts Brenna Arnold and Derek Godsey along with host Jeff Kimberly as they interview Mike DeLoso, a Christian suspense novelist. Mike has written such books as Scream, 
Darlington Woods and the Hunted. Mike is an adjunct professor at Lancaster Bible College in Pennsylvania as well as a featured speaker at the Greater Philadelphia Christian Writers Conference. Tune in Thursday, November 4th at 8 o'clock for Godcat Radio, only at www.ivydad.com. And we're back to Scott McCausey's Christian Devotions, and that was my monster truck voice. What do you think, Joe? <laughs> that was awesome, actually. I could I could totally picture you doing that uh, monster truck thing. So. <laughs> so, you know, we've talked to listeners out there who might be, you know, on the look at our archives. If you need a monster truck guy, just, you know, send me an email. It's on the website. So You, dude, you are so the guy. Actually... I'll have to record that voice so, so when I go home and I secretly play with my Hot Wheels, you can, like, I'll just put you on the TV player. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, at least it's good for that. Yep, exactly. Tell us about how you got into youth ministry. Well, it, it was kind of weird. When I was in California before I moved to Tennessee, I know we're jumping around on my, uh, my dates here, but um, all I wanted to do was music, and, and that was my only direction. And one night, I... I had one of those really quick, you know, you fall asleep and you probably slept for maybe five seconds, but you had a vivid dream. And I had this dream of me preaching, and it was not something I ever wanted to do. It, it's, I wanted to do music, but I, um, I had this dream, and I was preaching to youth. And right. I woke up, and I instantly went, oh, my gosh, this is, this is what I want to do. And I called my friend who was a youth pastor. He said, okay. He says, look it. If that's what you want to do, that's cool. You're speaking in three weeks. So he just automatically threw me into speaking wow. um, to youth. And then as we were, as Redline was touring around, I got the opportunity to, um, uh, you know, speak to a lot of the different youth groups. I was kind of like that spokesperson who, you know, who in the band gets to speak to all the different parents and the youth pastors and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And uh, and I got to meet a lot of cool people that way. But I just really had this um uh, this passion for for the younger generation thinking you know they're all going to be raised up and how are they going to be raised up and right. and my youth pastor when i was younger i loved my youth group i mean it was very instrumental with going through some tough times and and i wanted to have that same type of uh, um i wanted the lord to give me that same opportunity to pass that blessing along mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so and absolutely. then i so when i moved back to, to california um there was a church, a, a Calvary Chapel, who was looking for a, a youth leader at the time, and I was like, actually, he asked me, he said, I know you just got back from Tennessee, do you want to do it? I was like, yeah, that's cool. So I did that for a little while, and uh, but it was actually in Orange County, which is about, well, it's about 45 minutes away from where I live, but if you're talking about traffic, now we are talking about Southern California, so if you're talking right. about traffic, it'll take like two hours on a, on, probably on a decent day. Yeah. And I really couldn't connect to the kids. There was just yeah. no way. I had my job, my family, everything was uh, was where I was, and they were all too far away. And I didn't feel like I was giving them what I could give them. And I stepped I stepped down just because I didn't feel it was fair. Mm. Yeah. So it's ironic, though. You went from a, a, a real feeling that you needed to lead the youth to. Uh, kind of the exact opposite, where you begin this hospice ministry. How did that start? That's okay. That that's kind of weird too. When I when I moved back to California, I needed a job, and going into youth ministry, you don't you know, there's no money. I mean, it's you're you're just there for the kids, which is great, but there's no money. So I got a job in immigration, um, and I was at immigration for about five years. Well, I had a friend. Um, well, I went to his church, but he's, he was my pastor, and he said, hey, I need uh, somebody to cover me on Sundays so when I'm preaching, I don't get called out. Because as a hospice pastor, I'm on call 24 hours a day. Yep. So um, so I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And he's like, but it's not going to be a full-time job because when a pastor gets a full-time job as a hospice pastor, they don't leave because they get paid to carry their Bible every day. So it's kind of like that, that dream job. You get to pay you get paid to minister. Um right. And uh, so I was like, okay, that's not a problem. But three weeks later, he said, hey, they're looking for somebody. Do you want the job? And I was like, yeah, sign me up. And I've been doing hospice work for almost eight years now. Wow. And so did you train under this specific minister to learn how to do this? Uh, And just to back up a little bit, you've got, okay, you started doing the music thing when you're 15, and so Mm -hmm. you've been in a band out west, and then you were in a band in Tennessee, and then you become a minister, then you go to youth, and then you're to hospice. And how old were you (laughs) in the spectrum of all of this going on? 
Well, when I started when I started doing hospice ministry, I was 25. Okay. Um, so uh, when I walked, it was funny because I I'd walk into somebody's room and they'd be like, "Is your dad coming? Like, are you? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> you, you couldn't possibly be the guy, you know." And right. It was funny, and and I felt instantly like I had to prove myself, you know, because. Right. I stepped into shoes where there was there was older ministers above me and people who have had a lot of experience in this. And I did feel, um, even though I received a lot of love from the people at my hospice, I did kind of feel those eyes looking at you like, okay, let's see what this kid's going to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so I just had to, I had to put on my game face and I had to step into it. And I'll never forget the first time that I had to go to somebody's house after they had passed away. And it was my first time that I was about to step to the bedside of somebody who was who was deceased. Right. And I didn't know what I was in for. I didn't know what I was going to see or, or what the family was going to be like. But it, uh, <laughs> it, it, it freaked me out. I won't describe exactly what I saw, but it freaked me out for a moment. I had to think, can I do this? Can I do this? And But here I am eight years later, and... Uh, and I love it. It's it's a great ministry. Well, that's awesome. And by doing what you were now, how many years have you been doing the hospice ministry now? It's it's little over. It's almost eight years. It's about almost seven and a half years. years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so in doing this and seeing, you've seen a lot of things, and you've met with a lot of families. Yeah. And it just seems like God placed on your heart a new journey, another one, uh, to write <laughs> for Him. And, yeah. and I love what you shared with me about uh, how you knew you wanted to be a writer. Uh, do you remember what you told me in regards to wanting to be a writer even when you were younger? <laughs> you know what? I don't. <laughs> okay. Okay. You you wrote something to the effect that every time you picked up a book and you read it, uh, uh, you were all done with it or falling asleep by the sixth chapter. Yep. Yep. And so you wanted to put something in place, and here God puts you in course with, uh, you know, in, with your hospice ministry that you fall in love with doing and to serving God in this way. Um, how did how did it become placed on your heart to write these books? Well, and, and that is true. Uh, yeah, and I remember telling you that now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I there there were plenty of books out there about help, uh, plenty of books out there about hope, but I don't think, I, I didn't see a lot of books that were taking place from the standpoint of somebody who's dying, um, you know, what they learned, uh, what they regretted, what they wish they would have done, and how they would have treated people better, and uh, and I actually, I, um, I, I, I had an opportunity to speak at this men's group, and as I was thinking about what to speak on, I thought, well, I'm going I'm to speak about ending your life without regrets. And as I uh, came to the close of that message, it was it was just months later that people were still approaching me, saying, "Man, that really tugged on me." And, and I thought, "Wow, you know, maybe there's something here." And then somebody actually came up to me and they said, "Hey, I want to take all of your stories and I want to write a book." And I thought, "Well, wait a minute. <laughs> those are my <laughs> you know, stories. That's just, yeah, those are my stories. <laughs> you can't have my stories." But right. um, uh, but then I thought, you know, that's actually a really good idea. Um, yeah. I've been wanting to write a book. I actually thought about writing when I was about 20. I just didn't feel I had the, uh, I didn't feel like I had enough knowledge. I didn't know what to write on, so I just kind of put it down. Um, but this was something I knew about. It was something I was passionate about, and I knew that I can be, I, I could write it, and uh, and I knew exactly who my audience was. So um, I started writing it, and I, about six months later, you know, I just. Uh, looked up a Christian publishing and found somebody who wouldn't actually read it, but maybe would just put it out. <laughs> right, right. And uh, and I put it out that way. So that's, okay. that's and that's the, the book, of, the title of that book is Living and Dying Without Regret. And the subtitle, which is a title that I, uh, really is a thought-provoking question more than anything, yeah. is will God say well done if you haven't done well? And uh, And I've had more people say that, has stumped me, <laughs> yeah. you know, yep. to really think about the way I've lived my life and what does done well mean, yeah, or, or well done, you know, what does well done mean when he mm -hmm. says that, mm -hmm. you know, is it the default uh, thing that God just automatically has to say when we when we step to the throne? Oh, well done. All right, here's your crown. Go on. I mean, right. Or or is there something more to it? Do we have to do something? Is there a responsibility? And uh, and that was really the feeling of the book, that there is a responsibility that we have to live this life well, so that way God can say, well done, not by default, but because we actually did live it well. 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I like to talk about and share with friends um, is the fact that, you know, we believe in in Christ and in his death and resurrection, and and because of that deep-rooted belief, we become saved. Now, if you don't act on that belief, because faith without works is dead, if you don't act on that, do you really believe in the first place? So you're right. It is something that goes hand in hand. It really, really does. It's not that what you do gets you saved. That is not correct. Exactly. Um, That belief is what gets you saved. But do you really believe if you're not picking up your cross, like he tells us to do in Matthew? Exactly. Um, I want to read from a a section of your book, um, the one that you just mentioned, Living and Dying Without Regret, about halfway through, and I'm finding this book really, really interesting. And uh, I want to read this section and have you comment on it. So here goes. All right. You see, I've realized when discussing issues of regret with ailing people that most people don't know how to make decisions. And one important reason for this is because people don't know the meaning of their life or why they're even alive. So many people live as though we've all been spit out of another planet somewhere in space and sent here to gather as many toys as possible before we die. It's easy to make decisions based on our impulses and feelings, but rarely do people use any type of process, weighing pros and cons, or considering risks and benefits. It's easy to base our decisions on what appears to be good, tasty, and profitable at the time, but rarely do we realize that even the best-tasting hamburger will turn to poop. Just give it time and it'll happen. I have met many people over the years who have made decisions with no goals in mind. This poses one of life's biggest problems and is cause for one of life's biggest regrets. If we make decisions without goals or a purpose in mind, then basically we're making decisions based on a whim or based on our own feelings and needs at the time. Speak on that section because I really, really liked it. Okay, okay. Well, you know, in meeting meeting people, you know, what what I really find is, is, first of all, people regret two things. They regret what they have done and what they haven't done. Um, and and saying that that people gather up a bunch of toys, what I've really found is is that there is a lot of people who chase vanity. You know, it's it's whatever they can accumulate. It's whether whether it's a position or whether it's an item or whatever it may be. But the funny thing is, is that everybody at the end of their life ends up wearing a one-size-fits-all gurney, and they trade in their their car for a, an electric wheelchair, and they all end up in the same position. So what was all of this for? And, and and that's kind of where I go, you know, even the best tasting hamburger will turn to poop because which which I know we've said poop now three times on the air. And, <laughs> and, and, and my show we can do that. I absolutely love it because that's one of my favorite <laughs> topics, but we'll talk about that in, later. Um, <laughs> um but uh, but one of the things is is that that it really it really makes me look at my own life. And, and in right. writing that, it really made me look at what was most important. And what's most important to me is to be a blessing to God and to be a blessing to others. And that's 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 what Jesus says. This is the greatest yep. gift. The greatest gift that we have is love. But is it love for who? You know, And this is, exactly. this is where Scripture is telling us. It's love for our neighbor. However, we don't see things that way. Um, we got we got people who are, are walking down the catwalk of uh, of the church, you know, they're trying to show off their their right. new clothes or or they're holding up their uh, their new phone or whatever it may be, um, and and this is what our life has become, and that to me is the best tasting hamburger because it'll all end, it's all going to go away, yep. it'll all turn to poop, and when we when it all comes down to it, all we're going to have is what we did with our life, and we get to stand before God at that point, and and will God say well done? I don't know. You tell me. How did you live your life? Uh, what is the core of who you are? What, was it to live for yourself, or was it what Paul says, I'm making my aim to be well-pleasing to God, because all will stand before the judgment seat. All will have to answer for things good and bad. So so it's kind of one of those things that I, I, in writing that, you know, I was trying to really provoke a lot of people to think, why am I doing this? Right. You know, and, and even though I do throw poop in there, you know, it, it's one of those things where, where it kind of makes you have to think about it. You know, it is uh-huh. true. It's very yeah. true. Everything turns out that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, had, I was leading an integrated study this Sunday with a group, and we brought up both of these books. I had them both with me, and we were talking, actually talking about the Psalm, gosh, I can't remember, 17 or 19, and we were talking about God's laws. And David was saying in, in this how joyous these laws are. 
how perfect they are because they come from the Lord, not man-made, but from God. Right. And so often we, we don't even think about these things that God's put in place, very simple rules of living to help us re, to help remind us that life is short. And at the end of this psalm, it talks about those things that we've done, those sins that we have, and even those sins that... Uh, that we do on a daily basis and we try and justify that, you know, the little ones. And we all know we have yeah. those. Right. And at the end, at the end, that's when we start talking about the regret. And we, I brought these books into the conversation. There's nothing left. There's yeah. nothing left. So we have to remember while we're here that we serve a great God, a God that gives yeah. us special gifts. And we're here to use them. And we're here for a purpose. Exactly. And so we have to, uh, we have to get on the right well, well, and it's gotten to the point where I, it, it gets frustrating. You know, it's frustrating mm-hmm. to walk into somebody's room and and hear them and hear that the only thing they have is regrets. And I'd say about ninety five percent of the people that I meet, that's what their life consists of: is what I wish I would have done, what I wish I wouldn't have done. Right. Nobody's right. at the bedside. Why? What, yeah. Why did you make the decision to live this way? And uh, and I've even done funeral services where people scoff when I say what a good person this was. That's because I gathered information from one person that thought that their father was wonderful when there right. was another person over here that he wasn't so wonderful too. So, um, it, you know, and, and that's where I really want to – that's where writing this book and writing Climbing the Interview Rope, um, I really wanted to do everything I could to display this and say, look it. Everybody doesn't have the opportunity that I have to step to the bedside or go out in the middle of the night and be with these families uh, of somebody who's passing away, but I do. And if I can take somebody with me to be able to hear some of these regrets, to hear how they regretted the fact that they didn't use those talents that you're speaking of or or regretted the fact that they didn't treat their family right or or whatever it may be, then maybe it will help inspire and and encourage that person, the reader, to pick up their cross and stop putting it down. <laughs> you exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you exactly. know, I mean, he tells us to pick up our cross and follow him. And, and I have to look at that realistically. When Jesus yep. says, pick up your cross, um, when somebody was to pick up their cross, they didn't have the liberty to set it down. Their, right. their, their dreams, their future, no matter how short or long it was, was all in that cross. And their job was to follow the person that would lead them to crucifixion. And But the good thing is, is Jesus doesn't ask us to take up the cross so he can lead us to death. He wants to lead us to sanctification, to a separation from the world so that we can live, and he leads us to life. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us by dying in our place. Absolutely, absolutely. So. And I want to, I'm gonna, we're going to read another section. We're not going to read the whole book tonight, but I am going to read another <laughs> section because uh, this next section is another very important facet, I think. Okay. And it's along the same lines that uh, what we just read and talked about. Uh, in this section from Chapter 4, it further touches on the thought of, uh, in regards to goals for life. Mm-hmm. And uh, here, I want, to re- I want to read this area. Uh, Nothing is fa- fatiguing as the eternal hanging on a ben- uh, oh my gosh, and I just got completely tongue-tied. On of an uh, uncompleted task, and that was a quote from William ja- William James. And we're talking about procrastination, and these are some of the things: cut the grass later, clean out the gu- garage when it's not so hot, plan your vacation when it's convenient, use your talents not now, maybe when it's easier, pursue your dreams when this nightmare of life is over. And there's a bunch more. Live for the Lord when I get older. Get a job when someone gives me one. Read the Bible. When I'm done reading this book, I've already begun. Love your family when they love me. Ask for forgiveness when I'm dying. Have a relationship with the Lord when I am on my deathbed. And he writes, I've found that in my life procrastination is something of an art form. It is the art of wasting time and mismanaging my life and my priorities. Talk a little bit about procrastination. Oh boy. Well, and I, I think that's something that we can all write a book on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because I think that's something that that we're all familiar with. Um, but unfortunately, what I've what I have found in meeting with people at the end of their life is that there are unfinished tasks. There's um, I, I meet I meet often with the uh, with the spouse of somebody who's passing away. And uh, and there's somebody in particular that I'm actually thinking of right now who had a lot of grief and a lot of anger um, when their spouse passed away because he was supposed to fix some things in the house, mm-hmm. and he never did it. Everything was mm-hmm. else was more important. There was always something else there, and uh, and I think that's something that we've we've all kind of 
had some experience with just recently, uh, me and my garage. That was my garage. Right. <laughs> I yeah. finally cleaned it out a couple weeks ago, but it was one of those things where I have to look at it and say, yeah, I do that too. But but what profit are we in the hand of the Lord as a tool if we keep telling him that I'm not ready or I'm not going to do it yet or let's wait? I mean, you know, when I want to use a tool, I pick it up and I use it. If God wants to use us, he'll pick us up and use it. I mean, but he'll use us. But if we're not ready or we don't want to be used and we come up with excuses, you know, truth is, is he'll pick somebody else up and use them. And they'll have talents and they'll have gifts. But what does that lead us to? That, again, it just leads us to an unfulfilled life, ending our life, saying, I wish I would have. Why do we want to end our life that way? Why do we want to live our life that way? You know, I realize something, and and it's one of those... um, Things if we talk about Alex Kendrick that we we see in the movie Fireproof, yep. um, I mean when 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 Kirk Cameron's character starts doing things around the house, you know, you see his wife look at him differently, you know, it, it and and she, there was still trouble, but she looked at him differently, and I think that's one of those things is that when we start to do things, whether it be around our house, our families look at us differently. We become a hero all of a sudden uh, when right. we fix the dishwasher. And but what about when we do what God asks us to do? What about when we read his word? What about when we take the time to pray? What about when we take the time to be a blessing to somebody else and stop focusing on us? Well, you know what? I want God to look at me that way. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I want him to be a, to to be proud and I want him to look at me and say, Well done. I don't want to wait till I get to heaven to hear those words. I want to hear those words now. Yep. You know, yep. and, and exactly. I think procrastination is the enemy of that. You know, and we're always putting things off for later. And so many times, I know this is true of my life, I'll, I'll, I'll put something off, and it's so much better just to face it right when you need to face it rather than put it off because then it's in your back of your mind and it's always lingering. And what a relief it is always. And, and listeners, think about that. Uh, what a relief it is when you actually do something that's been on your to-do list for so long and it's done and that relief is gone. Why hold yes. on to that drudgery for weeks or months or forever? Yeah. When you could get it done right now, right, you know? and and then you open and then you open yourself up to be used in so many other ways when you're not so busy because it, it all builds up. I mean, yeah. it it always exactly. does. It's, you know, now we've got this big pile of things that we have to do, yeah. and and yeah. and then your son comes up and says, "Can we go play?" Not right now. I've got this stuff to do, or your daughter yep. wants to play with teacups or whatever it is, and you can't do yep. that because you've got the stuff to do. But if you would have gotten it done instead of procrastinating, you know what? You're there for your family. I mean, procrastination uh, or n- uh, not procrastinating and just doing what you're supposed to do, it, boy, it just makes everybody's life a whole lot easier Yeah, yeah, and happier. Absolutely. And I want to uh, get into your second book because we are quickly running through our hour. And your second book just came out in June of this year, and it's called Climbing the End of Your Rope. And similarly, your hopes are to promote life changes in the reader, but in a different way. Tell us about your newest book. Well, it's funny. is when I came out with Living and Dying Without Regret, everybody said, boy, that one just kind of – because I do take the reader with me on some occasions into a room of, some, of people who are dying. Um, but then I had feedback coming back saying, wow, it was a great book. A little, a little bit depressed, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and I was like, okay, okay. Well, then I'm going to write a second book that's going to have a brighter co- cover, and, uh, <laughs> and it's going to be a little more hope filled. And, uh, and and so mission accomplished. I've got I've got a bright green cover, which isn't a darker blue cover. I've got me hanging on a rope on the front of it, um, <laughs> which is a lot of fun and and gave me a lot of blisters, but. Um, <laughs> but that book is is a book. It, it is a book about hope. But I say that with reluctance because how, who? It's one of those things. Who hasn't read a, written a book about hope? Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You know, but but at the same time, this kind of has the same feel as the other book. It it does talk about a lot of people who are dealing with some crazy struggles. People who are. Uh, uh, who are coping with uh, with suicide, you know, whether it's a suicide in a family, people who are bitter, and it kind of brings people also into um, some of those things that we all go through, whether it be um, our past, you know, uh, carrying weights around with us, whether we become discouraged, uh, whether we're bitter, whether we're afraid to move forward in our lives. And it says, look, if you found yourself at the end of your rope, there is hope. We can climb out of these things, and we can. And, and ultimately, what it does is it brings you to the point of saying, "Look, it. Your life isn't your own. Your life belongs to the Lord. If you just let go of the rope, 
because ultimately God holds your life in your his, mm. our lives in His hands. If we just let go of the rope and let God hold it and take care of us, well, then we'll be a whole lot better. But mm-hmm. the reason why I say climbing the end of your rope is because, look, at if we get ourselves into some situations, there's some responsibility and consequences to getting ourselves out, too. Right, absolutely. You know, so, And uh, I want to throw one more question out there to you as well before I bring uh, Cindy and since Eddie's not here, we'll bring Jeff back in with us too here in a couple minutes. Uh, in dealing with coping with loss of life, do you get caught on a, in this occasional depression? I mean, you're seeing it and you're living it. Um, is there a way that uh, you can help yourself focus? Uh, do you leave work at work, so to speak? Um, how, do, how does that all work out for you? Well, you know what, I'm I'm usually naturally a pretty happy person, you know, so I, I don't get depressed too easily. Um, mm-hmm. There are some people that I've met that, that when they passed away, it's, you know, it's broken my heart. Um, but when when I leave work, because I'm on call 24 hours a day, it's hard to leave work at work because some, I have to yeah. kind of take work oh, home with me. Oh, true. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, I'm I'm big into comedies, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I like to laugh. I think I'm funnier than I am. I'd rather if people are laughing at me, I'm fine with it because I laugh harder <laughs> at myself than than anything. Um, so so dealing with dealing with death, what it's really allowed me to do is focus a little bit more on life and right. find more enjoyment in that. And the thing is, is yeah, I'm around a lot of people who are dying and a lot of people who are grieving, but my goal isn't to keep them in grief. My goal is to bring them out of that and say, hey, you've got life to live. Sure, you've lost somebody, but God still has a plan for your life. God still has a purpose for you as an individual. And because I'm always trying to encourage somebody in that way, it, it, it encourages me as well. I'm not having to just sit at a, at a graveside, so to say, for eight hours a day. I get to encourage people in the Lord, and and uh, and, and that's really encourages me too. Yeah. 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 So, well, you know, why don't you give a throw out to your family? Um, tell us about your wife and your kids. Okay, my wife, my beautiful wife. Her name is Tina. I've been uh, been married to her for a little over eleven years. I've got uh, I've got two kids. Um, I've got my two-year. Well, she's going to be three this month. Her daughter's uh, my daughter's name is Juliet, and I have okay. my son. His name is uh, Sydney, and uh, oh, they're they're just awesome. They're they're an awesome family. Uh, my wife is uh, she's into horses and stuff like that. She you know she comes to my book signings and stuff like that. But other than that, she's kind of like, okay, go do what you're going to do. <laughs> very very supportive wife that's just like okay you know that's that's what you're doing and uh yeah i i love her to pieces and my kids are just uh, they're just awesome kids and i guess you know coming home those are the things that really show you life you know those are the things yeah. that really make me laugh and smile is uh is things like that yeah for sure yeah, so got a great and, and listeners out there, you want to find out more about uh, Joe and his books and his ministry, uh, check him out at www.joepranito.com. Let's spell the last name for it. It's P-R-A-I-N-I-T-O. Wait, Joe Pranito. You just confused me. Okay. <laughs> I did confuse you. Did yeah, I do it right? I don't think you got the last name right. <laughs> okay, All right, well, let me do it again. It's J-O-E. You do it. Okay. J-O-E-P-R-A-I-N-I-T-O. I T O dot com. Um, yeah, Joe Pernia. Or you could just type in climbing the end of your rope and it'll probably come up with my website. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> That's easy. Yeah. yeah. And now I've got, now I have to go back and listen again to see if I actually did it right or didn't so that I can oh. mock you if I did it right. Okay, well, we'll be emailing back and forth later on that one, <laughs> my friend. There. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> now let me bring back Sydney uh, Sproles and Jeff Kimberly. Welcome back in, guys. Hey, thank you. <laughs> I just want to say, Joe, I, I was impressed that you named your daughter Juliet. Mm-hmm. I was just worried that you were going to say you named your son Romeo. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, it's, it's funny. It, you know, my son, he, he's so awesome. My, um, When I married my wife, she already had my son, and I, I just inherited such a wonderful young man of God. I mean, I really did. And, um, uh, you know, using his gifts and talents for the Lord as well. He's a little drummer. So when we were going to have our daughter, um, uh, it was it was my wife's decision to name her Julia, and I was totally cool with it. I just wanted to make sure that there were no Romeos around. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great names. I like them. Great names. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. And Joe had a lot of good things to say tonight, didn't you guys? Yes. <laughs> 
He did. I think it uh, takes a very special person to do what you do, Joe. Um, It's not an easy job. And uh, so I think you listened to God's uh, calling and you answered it because you're blessed with a gift. It takes a special gift to do what you do. Well, thank you. Thank you. I love it. I, I really do love it. So I appreciate that. And, Joe, uh, thanks for coming on tonight. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. Um, we've really enjoyed uh, talking about this topic. And, again, if you want to uh, check out his uh, information, uh, check out his website, and you can get more info on it. Get his books, too. His books are fantastic. Folks, get into the Word and uh, get, it in, get into it with your family. Don't let your family sit on the couch and watch TV. Get into the Bible and read about what God wants you to do. See you later, everybody. Have a great week. We all there?